Hey, it's me, James Stacey, and we're recording live from Watches and Wonders 2022. And when I say live, I mean we're recording it to tape, but we're doing it face-to-face, which I don't get to do that often. I'm joined by Jack, Danny, and Cole. How are we doing, guys? We're doing great. Doing good. Doing so great. good, James. So pumped to be back at a trade show. And I never thought I'd say that. We should specify that we're actually literally sitting in the middle of yeah. the trade show. So due to the schedule today, we have people going to dinners in the evenings and going back to work. And I wanted to get this episode up at a reasonable time back in, uh, you know, the U.S. time zones, uh, North American time zones. And so we're recording just at a table where you would normally eat lunch. You might hear some background noise. We'll do our best with that, but uh, it we'll call it ambiance, I yeah, suppose. It's color in our industry. So, yeah. It's you know? cinema verite. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. So this is the first day of the first trade show in several years, right? And it's kind of exciting. I, I was pretty stressed about it for the last couple of weeks. And now kind of having the opportunity to see some of the watches and and be part of this again is like fun. It's it's kind of exciting. Jack's giving me, we're all really tired. So there's going to be some weird jokes. I mean, it's my first time, so I'm having a blast. Yeah. Mm, I've just been- Just you wait, Danny. I've, I've been trapped in my apartment for two and a half years. I'm so. also having a blast and I've been trapped in my apartment for two and a half years as well. I mean, a few trips here and there, but yep. um, this is a particularly interesting show because there are people here showing in Geneva, brands showing together. And it's kind of like, you know, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria time, you know, because uh, basically what Patek Philippe, for instance, which has never, you know, shown at the SIHH or at Watches and Wonders has done, is they appear to have taken their entire booth from Basel World. Yeah, and the carpet. Broken it down, <laughs> including the carpet, broken it down, put it into containers, put it on the back of I don't know how many trucks, shipped it to Geneva and just rebuilt it here. And they're Definitely like, more than one truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Definitely more than it's one truck. It's a huge booth. But yeah, it's a weird thing. So if you've, if you've seen pictures of what these shows look like in the past, it's literally, they've grafted the two shows together. So you wouldn't rebuild a whole booth. These booths cost millions of dollars and they're meant to stay in use for a long time and to be flat packed and the rest of it. So when you come in, it's like walking into an SIHH six, seven years ago, five years ago. And then you turn and look down this one hallway and you can see a sliver, a, a, a cross section of the old Basel world. It's actually super weird. You feel like there's like this, you know, trans-dimensional doorway yeah. that like leads from, you know, Geneva to Basel and you, know, you, like you walk I, through I, it. That's just a lack of sleep talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, took a, I took a picture of it because I was like, this legitimately feels weird because you're so used to the, the separation between the two. Not only they're in different cities, but they're aesthetically very different. And, uh, and I think it's fun. Uh, you know, I think for this show, we're going to talk about kind of the three big brands that showed on day one. I mean, everybody showed today, but that had big launches today. So that's going to be Rolex, Tudor, and Patek Philippe. And uh, I, I say we probably get into it because I, I don't want these to yeah, be super yeah, long sure. and everybody's yeah. got stuff to do and s- sleeping to get done and, and the rest of it. Uh, so let's start with Rolex. You guys thinking Lefty GMT? I am thinking Lefty GMT. I think that's a hell of a watch. Yeah. Didn't Didn't love it in the... In the renderings at all, like yeah. to be honest, like you're, uh, you're dubious of the green. I actually was like, I'm a Pepsi stand to the to the core. But the thing is, when you see it in the metal, it's the same color as the uh, Starbucks or you know, which Sermit. you confirmed. You confirmed today. That's right. Yeah. That is a confirmed thing. Yeah. But because a it's a known quantity, question. like because we're used to seeing that other watch in the metal, when this one we saw it in the metal, it actually made sense. It's like, oh, okay, all right. The lefty thing's still weird to me because. Yeah. Uh, how many people are we speaking to with this watch? But color-wise, it's good. Yeah, I think it's just conceptually harder to get used to than it is actually like wrong from a practical standpoint. I have a lot of trouble trying to set it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's tough. So it's very rare, very rare. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I've never been to a Rolex meeting, a press meeting where the watch was running. That's right, the first one right. in my entire history of Rolex press meetings where it was a real watch. And I brought it up and they're like, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> An oversight of some sort. So the hands were running. So after I took a few pictures, I wanted to get it back to 1008. 
and I have to do it upside down. So because I don't want to be like really hard on the crown on a watch that isn't mine. Are you mine. lefty? No, no. But if I You're do it upside ready. down, then I can do it with yeah, my yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, so you have that element, and that would take some getting used to if you had a, a left a left side crown, like like a, a Pelagos LHD. But then where you're different than the LHD is you've got the date is at nine, right? Which as, when Wait, you actually where's like, the date? Yeah, right. The date is at nine. Jack, can you confirm that they must have developed a new date wheel for this? They had to have, right? Uh, I mean, you can't just cut out because it would be well, upside it, down. And right. It advances right. down. Yeah, and it, exactly. So so it's, it would be a new mechanism. And a, a date wheel where it's upside down. Otherwise, I assume the movement's 180 degrees. It's a relatively trivial matter from a technical perspective to uh, to set a date wheel up that way. I mean, you, you know, the printing needs to be different, and you probably there's a, a finger that advances the um, that it advances the date wheel at midnight. You know, so it's a uh, instantaneous switching date. But you know, like a simple calendar is like it's just it's just not that complicated. Yeah. Uh, and doing something like that is. It's basically just a you know a sort of mirror image of a standard date complication. And you would think that if it if it was anything more than trivial, that they would have made a different movement out of it. I mean, it's the same movement. Yeah, it's the same. And movement. And Rolex doesn't seem to have drawn any attention to it, other than to say it's the same movement, right? And that nothing was really changed because I think it's a fairly simple, other than the date wheel task of moving the crown from one side to the other. Is my understanding? Because yeah, you just go like this with a movement. Exactly. Just, so yeah. it's still interesting. I mean, for me, putting it on it left me wanting a little bit because I'm so used to it. I mean, Cole's wearing his Pepsi GMT. I'm wearing my Batman GMT. And you put it on, it's just the same watch in a different color. It's disorienting to have the crown kind of hidden under your sleeve. But it wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be when I first experienced sort of the, the press images and, and kind of had the intellectual idea of, oh my God, we have a left-handed And like if you take one, if you take your GMT off, flip it upside down and put it on your wrist, how close does that get to... The experience. Pretty, pretty close. I can also move the bezel around and get myself. Non-trivially not close. <laughs> exactly. It has, there's, there's actually almost no valid point of comparison. No, I was just kidding. <laughs> My thing about it is like, uh, we always talk about how calculated Rolex is, how slow they move, you know, glacial pace. And you have to think that everything they do is very um, calculated, right? Yeah. So yeah. with that being said, this seems like something like kind of like, I wouldn't say thoughtless, but it seems random but you know that they're not random. So no. what does this mean? Like how many people are, are lefty? Well, we understood it to mean at least how Rolex put it is that they were trying to make the watch appeal to everyone who might want to wear a GMT master, which includes, I guess, left-handed individuals, though you could don't need to or be left-handed prefer to or right-handed. Right my point, yeah. you don't have to be left-handed or right-handed to wear a watch on whatever wrist you yeah, want to exactly. wear it on. So this watch doesn't necessarily have to end up in the leftorium. Isn't that unusual for Rolex though? Like, the, it is. It just seems you, totally weird. It is. Because, yeah. Jack, you've, it's a strange you've written about yeah. it. I, mean, I like it. Left-handed people, yeah. uh, it's, it's a smaller subset of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, like it's not 10% a, of the population so I, I, That's something. the number that I remember quoting yeah. about, 10, about 10%. Um, Do we have any lefties here? Danny, Jack, no. James? No. Yeah. I mean, I'm uh, functionally ambidextrous for most and things, but... Would any of us wear it? Yes. You know, I... Like I said, I did. I don't. I'm not I, sure. I, I, I'm right. just having trouble. I don't hate it as a watch at all. I mean, I like it as a watch. I'm just having trouble adjusting to it conceptually, and yeah. I don't know why. Because I find it in myself to like things, in, even in the watch world, that are much, much more bizarre than a you know than a left-handed GMT master. It's a weird watch, and I mean weird in a good way. Like like an oddball it has the, it has its own charm. It doesn't feel like either of the ones that you guys have on. It has kind of a distinct charm, and I think that's probably. It's a weird move for Rolex to do a line extension like this in this direction because it seems disparate. Yep. It's not just a new color. It's also this new format and the date at nine. Disparate, not desperate. D 
disparate. Correct. Not desperate. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, just some, you know what? I have it on decent authority. They're doing fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they're not they maybe. I they may talked be. about this with Cole. What's interesting about the color, which would have worked perfectly fine in the normal iteration of a GMT master is it seems like what Rolex always wanted this sort of black and green GMT to be since it released the first ceramic black GMT, what in 2007, but they couldn't do by color ceramic. So it's a kind of a strange circular way to come back to this motif, right. but then to do it, in a left-handed configuration, I keep saying left-handed. I don't mean it that way. In a left, a left crown side, configuration, yeah. I'm you know I'm not sure. Yeah. They probably will release it at some point in a normal. I'm sure. I, I mean, I in think a, that one thing that has been going on uh, with Rolex for the time that a lot of people have gotten to know Rolex, you know, during the most recent Rolex era, is we've gotten used to Rolex of think uh, thinking of Rolex as a company that really does like very incremental line updates every year. Plus, like, you know, a few wacky things with, uh, or not, not even wacky, just a few, um, you know, smaller production things with uh, in different case metals or with, or with gem setting. But, you know, historically, Rolex was not always as sort of on the straight and narrow as it is right now. I mean, there were periods in, it his, in its history when it did a much wider variety of watches than it does today. So this, it is, this is, in a way, it's kind of like a return to a more sort of broader vision of what watchmaking at Rolex actually means. It's just we're not, we're not used to it. In the interest of time, I, I do, I'm enjoying this conversation, but I, you know, I think that's probably all we need for the GMT. But I do want to jump to what kind of dropped your jaw, which was the pair of platinum day dates. Yeah. Get them, Jack. Yeah. Oh my fluted God. bezel. Yeah. Yeah. Fluted, fluted bezel, uh, 36 millimeter and 40 millimeter. And, you know, with the, with the, with the day date, the 40 millimeters have always looked to me almost like, like the Jurassic Park version of that watch. Like it's, you feel like you're looking at a special effect, not at an, not at an actual watch. And I mean, it's spectacular. It's like, it, it's like, it's massively heavy. I mean, oh, it yeah. must be like at hundred over 150 grams easily. Easy for sure. And then like, and you, but you put on the 36 millimeter platinum uh, day date with, with fluted bezel and ice blue dial. Ooh. And like my, like I had like this immediate, completely non-intellectual reptilian hindbrain visceral reaction to it. I was like, I must have this. Yeah, you're delighted. And I'll do whatever it takes to get it. I don't care how many cities must fall before my sword and how many soldiers must be trampled under the hooves of my stallions and my cavalry. I want this watch. Yeah. Oh, it costs how much? Sugar. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't have to bleep it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think they're cool. It, it, and it is an interesting thing to, cause I think if I'd only seen the image of that, if this had been a digital show, I never would have thought about those watches again. Yeah. yeah. I would have been like, okay, platinum watch for like super rich guy option. Kind of looks like steel, cool blue dial. Oh, a fluted bezel. But then you see the bezel in person. You're like, I kind of get it. That you swear that it's like, uh, it look, it's so pr the, the way that it does its thing with the light is really remarkable. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I mean, platinum is a really challenging metal to work with. Um, we can link back to the story that I wrote in the show notes, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's what machinists call sticky and it, it tends to gum up cutting tools. And so like you can take a diamond tool that can produce a consumer ready, perfectly flat, shiny surface, and you can make like a hundred surfaces with it. If you're doing the same thing in platinum, the tools shot after about three. Yeah. I mean, platinum day dates always look sort of, it almost admitted that it couldn't do something by virtue of the fact that it only had a smooth bezel. And I think that it's a testament to Rolex's ability to just go for it. Yeah, go for it, persevere through that notion and end up here. I mean, sure, it is just a bezel, yeah. but like within the within the scope of what we're talking about, it means something to Rolex. They're yeah. very yeah. proud of the fact that they Absolutely. figured out how to do a fluted platinum yeah. bezel. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, in the, you know, in the, in the history of uh, platinum and jewelry and watchmaking, you know, over the last like 120 or so years, I mean, people have done lots of decorative, you know, for sure, lathing and engine turning with, with platinum, uh, but it's tough to do. It's much more time consuming. It's hard on tools and, um, you know, 
yeah, it's um, do, doing something like that. All of those like perfectly aligned little you know divots. It's it's it, it is actually non-trivially challenging from a from a, just from a metalworking standpoint. And then uh, the the other one that's that's kind of a newly updated model. In many ways, it looks similar. And then the moment you have it in your hand, it's like weirdly different than the preceding model is the new Air King. Let's go, Air King. Take it, Danny. So, Danny, walk us through the walk us through the Air King. Still forty mil. Forty mil. But it's now part of Rolex's professional line, which means that the case has been changed uh, completely from the last iteration of the 40 millimeter Air King, which two 40 millimeter Rolex cases are not actually identically alike and they wear differently. So when you think of a GMT Master or a Submariner, um, the case shape is a little more angular, a little more rigid, slab sided, I guess you would say. So that's what the Air King has now. So it's still got the same smooth bezel, but it now has crown guards. And the dial has been tweaked a little bit where it's lacquer black dial instead of gloss gloss black, which I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between those things because there used to be. I my mouth shut on that one. I was like, okay, cool. Because lacquer and gloss are both shiny. (laughs) Lacquer is shiny and they're all shiny. Uh So I I wasn't Uh wasn't sure what that meant. I was like, thank you. And and now the uh, applied 369 markers are loomed. So it's an entirely more functional watch all around. And then there's a weird little detail. So if you look at the, uh, the markings on the dial, it used to be a five and now it's an O five for symmetry or what do you reckon it's for? I think it's for symmetry. A lot of these things are trial and error. This was a super esoteric watch for Rolex before things went absolutely crazy. This was probably the steel watch you could find inside of a boutique. People started getting smart to that at some point and we're just buying them for the sake of buying them. But this is, actually feels like the complete version of the idea of what this watch should be. If you were going to make the air King a sport watch, right? Make it a sport watch. Okay. What I find the most interesting about it is the fact that it has crown guards with no functional or informational bezel. It's just a smooth, polished, sterile bezel. Yeah. Sterile bezel. And like we did a, just before the show kicked off, we did like a dream Rolex guessing sort of fun post Photoshop stuff. And Cole had suggested like a, essentially taking an OP, yeah. giving it a gray dial and putting the Air King logo on it. And I, I thought it was a pretty handsome looking watch. On the other hand, uh, I'm, I'm an outlier at this table. I don't like the Air King. I didn't like it when it came out before. I don't like it now. I, the changes don't make me feel any different about it. It's probably my least favorite model that, that they produce, definitely within the, within the now professional range. It's purely an aesthetic thing. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that watch. It's a, it's a Rolex. It's great, but I don't like the dial. I don't like the coloring. Well, and to be fair, the aesthetics were divisive, you know, from right from Jump Street. From the start. Yeah, I'm not alone in this opinion. No, for not sure. at all. Would I have liked the, the Air King, the, the OP Air King? Yeah. Yeah, of course. But here's the thing, like, None of us can get what we always want, and is this a decent None of us compromise? Can get a Rolex either. So, well, so this is my my the the negative externality of this is finally Rolex has figured out how not to have any single model be accessible. Period. It was the Air King. Now it it definitely now it's won't be. It yeah, definitely it won't be. Won't be. So, oh, well, I mean, the role, the the Air King wasn't exactly accessible, you know, before the change to the case. Uh, right? You can I still mean, find him every now and then, you know. Yeah. I so put it this way: I actually, and this this I guess would be considered what the kids call a hot take these days. Okay. I would rather have this than an Explorer. This is just like a cooler Explorer to me in a way. I jo- I kid you not. I, I, I agree. Really? Well, I'm you with you on that. You are Mr. Explorer. Minds. I know. Like, over here. Something about this watch hit a nerve with me today. Man, I put the jet it on. lag is really, really carved, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, may, maybe we're too hyped up on it, but I, 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 I like the fact that it is like, uh, it feels <laughs> unlike anything else and it feels more a little more fun than anything else. It just works for me. James is like sitting over here throwing he's shade. These two guys yeah. are like, these, these two guys are he's, loving he, it. James, this is not he's, a visual medium. He's, like, he's giving he's us really like, weird James eyes. Is, James right is now. like old man yells at cloud. I just like that it's a, it has an aviation connection. Like I like the GMT because it has an aviation yeah, connection. Sure. And the Air King, now that it's moving closer or 
like, yeah, why would you do Chrome applied now that it's becoming more of a, like, pile swatches should be functional. This is more functional now. So it, it has my attention. I like it. I want to clarify, too. I meant a modern explorer, not just like an explorer in general. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Same. I like yeah. the explorer. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Everyone does. And speaking, speaking of, actually, we found ourselves a way to get into Tudor. Speaking of explorers, Tudor launched something very similar to essentially a modern 1655. So it's a 39 millimeter fixed 24 hour bezel GMT that looks just simply a lot like a, uh, 1655, a vintage, a vintage Explorer, uh, two. And, uh, it uses the same movement that's in the BB GMT. I, I, I've, I'll eat some crow. I've said in the past that I didn't think that they could fit that movement in a 39 millimeter case. I thought they'd have to make a smaller movement. I don't have to say that anymore, but let's be clear. I know I was wrong. So 39 millimeters, it's 14.6 thick, which is what everybody's kind of, uh, talking about. In the comments, they, they, people feeling that it's kind of thick. We had a, a chance to kind of go hands-on with it. I'm going to write more about it tonight. I didn't find it too thick. It's not a thin watch. It's right there in the middle. It's uh, significantly thicker than, say, my, my 16.570 Explorer 2. 47 millimeters lug to lug. And it's a normal, it's the exact same functionality as the BB GMT. So it's a, a, a flyer GMT with local jumping and instantaneous date on the hour hand. The, if you really want to compare it to something like an Explorer 2 or other 39 millimeter Explorer 2s, it's 200 meters water resistance instead of 100. Uh, so there's some of your you know, rationale for the thickness. You'll see it in the photos. Um, so go back to the site and check for that story. But the way they've integrated the bezel and the crystal together does not feel like a black bay to me. It's much more, there's a much higher level of finesse in the transition between the two versus the more vintage feel of the way that it's done in a black bay with like a box crystal. And it's weird because they were, Tudor said that they, they kind of are very consciously made some elements of the watch quite modern and some of them quite vintage, but not in the same space as a normal black bay. The uh, loom plots and hands are much more matte than they are on pretty much any other black bay. They're not metallic surrounds and they use a, uh, they use a ceramic uh, loom kind of blend. I didn't, I don't have the full understanding of what this is, but uh, it's nice and bright. I've got a loom shot. Uh, so it glows really nicely. I like the watch. It's like 3,600 to 4,000, depending on what strap you want. There's a formulation of superluminova that's ceramized superluminova. Uh, Ming uses it a lot. Just ceramize anything these days. So this is kind of the watch that you've been asking for all along. I think that's Are right. you like happy with it or is it, is this the answer? So I, I, I think it's an unfair characterization of what I've asked for in the past because yeah. I would want to dive GMT. And this is basically the same as the 16570, which I already own. Uh, I really like the watch. Uh, I'm definitely on the fence as to whether or not I, I should try and figure out how hard they're going to be to get one. But I don't think it wears poorly. It wears quite nicely. The bra- On the bracelet, it's a bit too much for me, but I'm not a big bracelet guy. So that's not really a surprising opinion. I like it on the NATO. I like it on the, they have a new strap that's rubber on one side and like a, a fabric on the other. And the watch looks really good on that, but it adds bulk, right? Because it has a double f- pass where the, the two layers of the strap have to sit on top of each other. I do kind of think that this is a hyper-specific watch design. Like, I don't think it has the, like, mass BBGMT appeal in the sense that I don't ever think that the Explorer 2 ever had the same appeal as a GMT Master 2 did. Right. So, like, on the point of how hard will it be to get, of course, I don't know. I mean, I don't, th- I think, I don't think it's going to be I'm sort I'm going to say hard for a while sure. and then possible. I'm, like, on the, I'm on the fence on this one. It doesn't, it doesn't really move me when I look at it, but only because I don't think that this is sort of in my wheelhouse necessarily. I do think it's, 
I would have liked it better if the loom plots didn't lean so heavily into this sort of. Uh, it's not even. F- it's not faux patina either. It's almost like it's yellow. It's just a stone color. Yeah, it's like yeah. a color. It's like the 1655. Yeah. It's almost exactly like it. It's a little, you know? it's almost on the creamy side, but it's a different shade than what faux tan loom yeah. looks like. It's not brown. It's it's more of a yellow, goldy yeah. tone almost. And and I'm not sure, that doesn't necessarily... It makes it look super utilitarian. Yes. It really looks definitely. like a sports watch. It's going to wear like That's a sports watch. That's why they watch. call it yeah, the pro. Exactly. I definitely I like prefer this one on a, on a strap than I do on that on the bracelet. Yeah, I it's like so. a lot of steel on bracelet, yep. you know? And, and I think, you know, in my case, I think it would be great on a normal leather strap. Keep it nice and close to your wrist. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by it. You know, I'll probably collect my thoughts in a more, uh, you know, defined manner for uh, for the story, the upcoming hands-on. But I, I look, I'm a huge fan of GMT, so I, I just think it's it's a pretty much a no-brainer uh, as something we should cover and chit-chat about. I yeah. like sports watches, and I think this is a, a good one, and it gives it gives another alternative. But it's not the only GMT that Tudor brought out. We also have a, a new 41-millimeter BBGMT with like a root beer two-tone coloration. Two-tone. How'd that one hit you guys? It felt in the hand and on the table like a really faithful recreation of a root beer Rolex, even though Rolex, I don't think they've ever did a two-tone root beer in that kind of way, like in a vintage iteration, right? Those were always single color bezels. But if Rolex were to do that, this would be what it would look like. On the wrist, I put it on. I don't think I can I can support a Black Bay GMT generally, but the case still feels pretty big and pretty thick. And I don't think anything about the design makes it feel any smaller. Um, but I still like it. I, I pref- Again, similar to the, um, the Black Bay Pro, I like it on a strap because I don't love the color of the two-tone center, the gold center links on the, on the Black Bay bracelets. Plus, they don't really taper. But I think it's super handsome. It does exactly what you'd want that watch to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm into it sort of at a high level. Uh, yeah. I mean, am I a two-tone guy? Typically, no. Uh, am I even a BBGMT guy? No. But here's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter what I think. It's more like, all right, let's objectively look at this watch. I think it's a very charming, whimsical kind of like, you know, 70s, 80s throwback thing. And it makes sense to extend the line in this direction. And I'm just trying to think of like, a situation where I think that watch would just shine. And I would say something like, um, I don't know, like going bowling or going to the roller blade, uh, roller derby. Yeah. Roller derby. Skating like rink. Something like, um, you know, like, I don't know. Like I would like to wear that watch in a setting that evoked the, the seventies and eighties and so That's forth. Fun. To me. You like, just wear it around me. I evoke this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wear it around Jack. What did you think of it, Jack? Um, I liked it. I mean, um, it's inoffensive. I, I, I mean, like it, it's a B, we already know what the BBGMT I, yeah, I mean, is largely. Yeah, it's. I mean, BBGMT is. Um, it's a nice line it's, extension. It's a watch, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a watch that I support conceptually. I've never spent enough time with one personally to formulate right. like you know, an experience based personal opinion. But uh, I mean, I think it's great that it's there. I think that it's a uh, it's a great complication for them. It makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a handsome watch. I mean, yep. I understand the caveats some people have about the case dimensions, and I don't know that going smaller is necessarily where some folks would have wanted them to go in terms of aspect ratio, you know, like height to diameter. But it's, it's, I, I think it's going to do just fine. Now we know that they can go smaller, which is actually very interesting to me. But they don't seem to be able to go thinner. I think the 5652s, well, we know it's 7.8 right. or whatever millimeters thick. Uh, so that that's an issue. You know, I think my my read on this watch, I, don't, I didn't even pick it up off the table. Like, <laughs> I don't like brown watches and yeah. I don't like two-tone. So it's a bit of like a perfect zero for me. Um, but if you wanted to make it one that had an entirely different vibe than the one I like quite a bit, the uh, Pepsi BBGMT, they made the exact right call. You know, I would love to look up the movement height 
um, you know, for the caliber that's inside the BBGMT because, you know, casing up diameter can be really, really, really flexible. I suspect that there may be at least some desire on the part of Tudor to use the somewhat aggressive aspect ratio um, and the sort of slab-sided design as a way of stylistically distinguishing themselves from Rolex. It could be, for sure. I want to throw a quick wrench in here, quick, quick, before we move away from uh, this watch slash Tudor. The, there's a new Black Bay Chrono also. Uh, and I wanted to know champagne where you guys... Dial. A champagne dial. It looks which good. looks really good. Yeah. Uh, I thought it looked great. I sometimes think that watch feels very aggressive on the sort of bun-style strap they put it on. And again... Very seventies, very seventies, but it's it, it's tough. It's tough on the wrist sometimes. I wonder where you guys stand on that watch generally, and what you guys thought about that one. I want the white. I still love the white dial. Yeah, it's the refreshed white dial that was like a little bit thinner, uh, nicely legible, uh, you know, easy to wear. But the truth, the absolute like simple fastest answer. If I was buying a Tudor chronograph, it'd be a, a Heritage Chrono Blue. It's a good call. So pretty. Yeah. Been around for a long time. Yep, that's a hell of a watch. Uh, you know, also a watch that is kind of wears big, but it works big. Like, it, you know, it, it's a little on the thick side. It's a little long, lug to lug. Uh, but I, I like that watch a lot. It works on a ton of different straps. It's one of the few times where a striped NATO doesn't bug me. The sort of fabric strap they have with the blue, yeah, orange, white. It works with the design of the watch itself, yeah. How about you, Cole? You champagne dial? I'm, I don't like snowflake hands to begin with. Okay. But my issue is that, like, on a snowflake hand watch, I don't like mixing large circles. So the chronograph registers with you snowflake lose the register hands. for a while. I feel like yeah. I'm learning so much about my colleagues on this trip. Very <laughs> complex taste. Very, very complex. Yeah. Very yeah. Layers. multifaceted. Yep. Like yep. onions. Like if somebody's, if somebody bet layers. me. Onions have no facets. If somebody had offered to, to bet me 10 bucks <laughs> that Cole didn't like snowflake hands, I would have I been like, yeah, I'll take that bet. And like how wrong I would be. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with the idea on a um, of snowflake hands on a chronograph are problematic. Yeah, it's just a little bit tough, especially when you have a hour counter. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like it's a little bit too much going on for me. This is. The, I mean, it's 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 the larger problem of whether or not um, the chronograph functionality combined with in a classic chronograph, um, you know, subdial layout. If you combine that with dive watch hands, um, it can be a little bit challenging. Absolutely. And I mean, people do it. I mean, Omega does it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's head over to Protect Philippe. I'm going to mostly hand this over to Jack. I didn't get to go to this meeting, so I'm excited to learn about these watches. Jack, they've got some uh, pretty good looking Calatrava and a neat expression of the travel time, right? Yes. So the two, uh, the, the, there, there were a lot of line extensions. <laughs> it's like, I don't know why, but I'm finding that expression just absolutely hilarious, and I can't figure. The more out you why. say it, the more yeah. you're like, "Why is this something I say yeah, this often?" Right, yeah, right. it's like it's like saying novelties for new watches at trade shows. You know, you do it for about 15 years, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Why?" What do words mean? What 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 is novelties even? Um, yeah, so the two new new watches at Paddock were uh, both Calatravas. Um, one is the annual calendar travel time, uh, the 5326G-001. So that's an annual calendar travel time watch. First time that Paddock has ever put together those two complications. It has a syringe hands, which I know bugs some people on <clears throat> Paddock's, especially Paddock's with classic complications, but I think it works here. It's got this beautiful textured dial. And, you know, one of the nice things about it is that it is a, uh, it is really a practical flyer GMT. And they've gotten rid of the uh, pushers that were part of the, you know, the pilot uh, dual time. Uh, you can set the local time forwards or backwards and one hour jumps at the crown and the annual calendar stays synchronized as you cross midnight, but you can also set it back and it, and it resynchronizes itself. And the change is very, very fast. It takes place over about an, uh, an 18 minute period. 
So what Paddock did was, um, and you know, and this is again them doing something really interesting technically that like most people won't notice or even care about. They just care about the result. But it was like a fairly difficult thing to do. So they re-engineered how the jumping mechanism works for their annual calendar in order to sh- in order to make it possible for it to switch back and forth uh, in synchrony with the um, with the local time, and in order to switch relatively quickly. You know, so that uh, you know, no matter when you're looking at it, within a relatively short time frame at midnight, yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's switched over. And there's actually like you wouldn't have guessed it, but there's actually eight patents pending, you know, for this particular watch. And uh, complicated we got, thing, yeah, we got a chance to look at a, a big plastic what they call in the industry a maquette, like a giant lucite model of how the complication works. And uh, there's some really, really, really clever technical watchmaking going on in there. And I think Paddock, especially you know, like in the era of the hype watch. They probably don't get the credit that they deserve for really innovative technical watchmaking. But they talk about it, you know, more than Rolex does. Rolex does an awful lot of uh, technical innovation that, like, it gets patented. It's in the watches. They barely communicate about it. If you ask, they'll tell you. But it's just like it's not it's not their thing to be like, well, we changed the lift angle of the escapement, uh, and uh, now we're getting uh, you know 1.7 percent better efficiency out of the mainspring barrel on average. Over a seventy-hour power reserve, and yeah, this is just Paddock being Paddock. Oh yeah, but in, in, much in the same mode as the you know kind of piloty themed Calatrava travel time that they put out you know yeah. five six years ago, seven years ago now. I, I like it. It's really casual. The time and date model doesn't scream Patek to me. I didn't. I've only seen the images, so I don't want to be unfair. But the the annual calendar travel time, I really like the way it looks in the images yeah, and in the yeah. in the display, which we're sitting right next to while we're recording this. Yeah, it's you know this is another example of how difficult it is to um, and, and I'm you know I think we're all realizing this after two years of writing about watches that often we don't get a, actually get a chance to see, um, but like the time and date model is in person it feels much more quietly luxurious it feels much more like a paddock than you would think from the photographs the dial texture is handled really nicely uh, the case dimensions are really really fantastic um, the case construction is really fantastic you know it feels like a very sort of like luxurious highfalutin take on making, you know, just a practical everyday watch. And I think it's going to attract a lot of interest. What I uh, was curious about, Jack, when I first saw the watch, I uh, thought, well, what is this design based on? Like, is there any historic design precedent for something that looks like from, from Patek Philippe? Yeah. I mean, certainly they've done, they've done simple time and date watches with, uh, with Arabics all around. Certainly they've done watches with syringe hands in the past. I mean, this combination of sort of vintage adjacent design cues, you know, including the dial texture, which is kind of reminiscent of field watches and even anti-magnetic pilots watches. Like it looks a little bit like a soft iron dial. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head in their history that, in it, that sort of really, anticipates this in a lot of the details. Um, you know, but that said, there's probably a lot of little things here and there. One thing that I should mention about the case construction, by the way, is that there's a, uh, actually a hobnail pattern engraved on the case flank. And it, it looks like it stops at the lugs, but if you look really closely, it doesn't. So the entire, the round part of the case actually nestles into a recess cut into the lugs. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a much, much more complicated case construction, but it's like, it's a little thing that you might, might not see it at first, but it's it's something that you, um, you know, it feels to me like one of those watches. The more you find out about it, the more you're, you're uh, the more you're going to be glad that you got it. Like you're not setting yourself yourself up for like buyer's remorse. Like a very nerdy, specific, thoughtful, casual watch. Yes, ex- that, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's very exactly cool. I, I think you might have sold me on them. I was kind of I was kind of bland. I, I mean, I really love any travel time Patek. I just like seeing the skeletonized hand. 
just makes me happy whenever I see it. I mean, I have to say like that, the, the annual calendar travel time is a technically super interesting watch. I mean, eight patents associated with it, a practical travel, super practical travel time watch with an annual calendar that you can switch back and forth, back and forth at midnight is like that. It's kind of the ultimate, you know, it's a flex. Literally. It's a flex, but it's also the kind of like the ultimate convenient traveler's watch. Like you don't have to worry about the date at the end of the month, except for February. Um, You can set it anytime you want. There's like no issues with actually like traveling with it and using it. And, um, you know, it's not like, it's not a flashy watch at all. It's kind of the opposite of a flashy watch. It really feels like a practical traveler's watch. That said, even though it's intellectually less interesting, the one that I would want to wear every day is the simple time and date model. Oh, really? I just really? Yeah, I kind of okay. dug it, man. That's it's really interesting yeah, to that's hear. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think we might be on the same page again of not really digging that that time and date model. I, I feel like I would because it's kind of military. Five, yeah. It looks like a, you know, a 30s, like with the, uh, the wavy side of the... Case like is engraved, case yeah, yeah, or a right. case band. That's like a, a knob on, you know, a, a magneto adjuster of something. Like it, it feels like I would, but like for me, you know, I'm not necessarily as well versed in hierology like you are. So the 5196P is the Patek Calatrava that always drew me in. Right, right. And now when I'm seeing something that's like far more in the wheelhouse of like watches that I kind of am familiar with it takes it off the pedestal and like brings it into the area that I'm like, okay, well I know this. Yeah. It feels like Patek conforming to a design ideal that's be, that's become popular over the last five, six, seven years from a very low end to a very high end. Like, like you want to, you want a uh, Hamilton khaki field watch. I wasn't yeah, going to exactly. say it, but, but you yeah. wanted to say Patek. Yeah, we've been saying it, we've been saying it all day. That's a, that's yeah. a dig. Like all brands make all sorts of watches that fall into these batches and, and they do so for their customer base. And I think it's kind of rad that in some ways they've made something that has that aesthetic, but would apply to a protect, like would translate to someone who really loves their I mean, the protect other, collection. Yeah. The other, the other thing is like playing with um, like the boundaries between specific product categories. It's something that happens all the time yeah. in the design world. Like it happens constantly in the design world, you know, these mixtures of high and low and it's, it's uh, it's an accepted part of, you know, haute couture, but it's also an accepted part yeah. of the indust- various industrial design idioms. So, but, but for some reason we resist it in fine watchmaking because we, we like, you know, brands should always play the hits. There should always be tangible connections to the past. But I sometimes feel like watch enthusiasts get angry if brands play anything other than the hits. Like, like they're not allowed to do this kind of like cross pollination with different uh, design idioms. And um, I respect Pat that's for an, doing That's it. an interesting point. It's almost like uh, this is new for Patek Philippe. But it's and it's it's an old style design, but not in the DNA of Patek Philippe, which is a very kind of intellectual idea. When they came out with a pilot travel time, um, you know, I saw it, and that was that was a very divisive watch. It had these two like you such know, a fan of that watch. I remain yeah, such a fan I, of that watch. I, 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 I know, love the like smaller had, one in rose had, gold as well. It had those two honking big pushers on the side, yeah. and they, they were like, "What's Patek doing?" Like, like they stole the hands from Zenith, which is of course not true, but. Uh, I ran into Thierry Stern the year they introduced it. He was in the booth at the same time. And I said, wow, Mr. Stern, this is like, um, this is kind of a controversial watch you've got. And he looked at me and he said wearily, yes, yes. You know how many people have said, uh, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it in the meetings. Then on the way down, they ask me, can you allocate me one? I mean. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. This is kind of like, a, a to me, a little bit like an Aquanaut. That's a same, really good comparison. Yeah. Because it has both toolish and also high horology, and, and that's super popular. So the numerals look like they might be very similar in style to the Aquanaut too. The Arabics, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a point. The way you've been explaining it, Jack, I'm kind of I've come around the circle a bit, and uh, and even you, Cole. I mean, I, I can see now. I wouldn't want a brand like Patek to think they can't go in this direction because 
we would say this is not the Patek way. I mean, look, there are certain brands that if they go out of what enthusiasts perceive as their lane, even a tiny, tiny bit, you know, you get like fulminating fury on the internet. I mean, you know, Rolex is another example. They have but to change the proportions of, a, of a, like a Submariner case by half a millimeter. And there's like a thousand comments saying, Rolex has lost its way. You know, I mean. The end is nigh. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun or in comments, for exactly. sure. Actually, <laughs> in fact. Uh, but uh, yeah, on that note, I think that's probably probably the episode. If you want to read more or learn more about any of these things, everything we've spoken about, which is really only a sliver of some of the great stuff we saw today, is on the website now or will be in the next few hours. So just keep checking in. Thank you so much for listening. Obviously, if you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. We can't ask for anything more. Jack, Danny, Cole, you're tired. You're probably hungry. You've got plans for the Actually, rest of the I night. I am pumped. I, I really like, appreciate I'm you guys coming up. up. This I've, was great, I've go, James. I've gone Thank through you. the floor of my blood sugar levels and I come, come out through the ceiling. Oh, sure. I'm like a lower floor, admittedly. If they, if, <laughs> into the basement. Into the basement. <laughs> Thanks again for listening and for you guys for being on the show. And we'll have another episode for you roughly this time tomorrow if you download it right when it comes out. Catch you later.